All right, so who are this season's top 50 NHL players? Find out on the Locked On NHL podcast. Joe DiBiase, Mike DiStefano, and Rachel Donner reveal the top 50 players as voted on by your local experts across the Locked On NHL podcast network. Subscribe to Locked On NHL podcast on YouTube and turn on your notifications so that you never miss an episode. August 24th, we're covering the snubs. On the 27th, you'll get uh, top 50 through 41 and ending on September 10th with the top 10 reveal. Subscribe to Locked On NHL wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. Offense. Um, And what is the next evolution in the game? I think we're kind of due... Um, for something new to start happening. Is it positionless hockey? Maybe. I don't know. That might be too big of a dream, but uh, I don't know. That's my, that's my pipe dream. We'll see. But uh, oh man, I might have to have you back to talk about that because (laughs) I have no idea what positionless hockey could look like, but I have strong thoughts about positionless basketball. (laughs) And Erica, you know, we love a good crossover. We do love a good crossover. We haven't played a game yet, but the word is already out that we've got some crazy, passionate fans, and uh, we can't wait to start playing hockey in front of them. You are Locked On Kraken. Your daily podcast on the Seattle Kraken. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We are the Seattle Kraken. Welcome to another episode of Locked on Kraken. I am your host, Erica Lindsay Ayala, and we are doing another Good Reads on a Monday. We're going to talk about some of the authors and content creators that you absolutely need to know if you're a Seattle Kraken fan, and honestly, if you're a hockey fan. And so today, I am so excited to be joined by Allison Lucan, what's going on, Allison? Oh my gosh, I can't. I am just so honored to be on this show with you. I could not be more excited that the Kraken fans and the Kraken community has your voice, your brain, your smarts speaking to them as this team comes on board. What a tremendous gift to that fan community! Well, thank you very much for that. And the feeling is mutual for sure. And I, I, I wish I had you know coordinated. I already put my earrings on for the day, but. These are some of my faves. Girl. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Being on brand. I love that. Well, Allison Lucan, I came across your work while you were still covering. Uh, well, I came across your work through The Ohio State University, but you also have written for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I want to get into some of that. But first, anytime I have a guest on the pod and we welcome someone from the Squid Squad, I like to ask them, when did you fall in love with hockey and how did that lead to what you do now? Yeah, it's, you know, I have more of an untraditional story in that hockey was not really accessible to me. I grew up in central Ohio. We didn't have a ton of that here when I was young, Um, but my dad had played just in high school, not anything um, super fancy, but he had these crazy looking skates. And so we would go ice skating every Sunday We would talk about hockey. And then when I went to college, I actually went to college in Richmond, Virginia, Um, followed the Caps from afar, ended up living in D.C. The Caps were my team. And so when I came back to Columbus, eventually, as life certainly makes happen sometimes, 
the Blue Jackets became the team that I followed and went on to play and found the women's game from there, which arguably is my favorite. Oh, well, as I mentioned, there are two pieces that you wrote from your coverage for The Ohio State that I absolutely love. Um, one was this story about just the, the injuries that players sustain and kind of how they become like a part of their narrative and a part of their story. I love that. And the other one we might get into a little bit because it was all about analytics and data. And I know that's definitely the place um, that you've carved out for yourself in the hockey space in particular. Um, but I'll use both of those. And then the story that we're going to talk about that you wrote for uh, the Seattle Kraken called the natural process, uh, talking about leadership, but first just generally speaking, Allison, what would you say is your approach to finding really unique stories when it comes to talking to people in the hockey community? Yeah, you know, I think my my biggest asset is that I have no traditional journalism training whatsoever. Now, some may say we can tell, <laughs> but um, I just like to write about the things that interest me. And I like to really try and listen to those who are in the game and find out what they're interested in. That is how that injury story came to be, was just waiting for a media availability. And one of the players at the time telling me, you know, this scar is from this, this scar is from this, this happened from here. And realizing that there are so many amazing things we can learn about this game and these athletes. And then for me, from there, what I really started to get interested in wasn't just the what is happening, but the why and the how. And so that has really led me into what I call data-driven storytelling, which is looking at some of the analytics that are underneath the game that are developing today, but making them relatable, making them accessible, telling those data points, what they mean and what they tell us about the game, but within the context of what we see on the ice, how players, coaches, and those who are around teams think about the game. And I love that because a lot of people, I would argue, and I'm like you, don't have traditional journalism background and did not have any kind of traditional hockey background whatsoever, came through the women's game. So still very much learning the National Hockey League. But I think it's safe to say that hockey is one of those sports that there is a, at minimum a difference of opinion of how to kind of incorporate um, new wave, quote unquote, technology, including things like data analytics. But you're one of the people that's really trying to bring that to light through storytelling. We have all of these amazing conversations and recently a conference on how to do that in the women's game. And that conversation is very specific as well, because as you and I know, unlike the National Hockey League, there are not a lot of people that are sifting even just, just straight up, you know, stats <laughs> as far as a game was played. And <laughs> here's who scored. Um, so I, I just wonder if you have seen in the last handful of years any difference in how your work is received, particularly when you're talking at the National Hockey League level. Yeah, I think that we are starting to see a difference. And in a way, I think we're also now starting to see a demand for the next wave of innovation because what we're we have been talking about is commonly accepted and i think that there are there are many people now doing that kind of approach that i do and i think that helps is that instead of using inaccessible terms and crazy math which is important and valuable to developing these concepts 
we turn those concepts into approachable language and into video that we see and into plays that we see. But, you know, that is the NHL level. I think that as you and I have talked about, it makes this gap so much more stark right now um, across other levels of hockey and into the women's game. We even talked about at that conference, the, the risk, the concern about applying some of the lessons we're learning about the game that men play as compared to the game that women play. And I think that now, um, in addition to education, which was kind of the first focus of my writing, what I hope to do, and, and I, I think of people like Mike Murphy who are inspiring in this way as well, is I want the work to compel people to now go get the data on their own mm. um, for the teams and the games that they are following or compel the organizations, <clears throat> excuse me, to get the data because we can get it. We now understand it. We know it's accessible. Let's support all levels of the game with it. And I definitely want to get into that in the next segment a little bit more and talk a little bit more about the work that you've been doing for the Seattle Kraken. Because I also think, and I want to get your thoughts on this, like how has um, betting and, and you know sports betting impacted the work that you do? Um, but then also how have you um, been able to take a lot of that from a data perspective and apply it to other things, which is why I'm really excited to talk to you about natural process. So we'll get into that coming up next. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest 200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and you will receive a 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Dallas Cowboys. If you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only. When signing up and using promo code NFL100, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, and of course, hockey. Don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we are back talking with Allison Lucan, of course. She is one of the contributors to the Seattle Kraken website. We've been talking about data. And Allison, in the first block, we were talking a little bit about uh, how you kind of want the work that you and others are doing in the data space to kind of empower and uh, give people a guide that if they wanted to find this on their own, they could do that. And I'm very curious um, how that is playing out as we see more leagues. And here at the Locked On Network, we have a sponsor, Bet Online. We have even a podcast, Locked On Bets. So um, not just at the fantasy level, but also at the sports betting level, we're seeing people get more into data. What has that been like for you as someone who this is really what you do and, and what you like to write about? 
Yeah, you know, it's a great point. And I think it's something really interesting to watch in all sports, not just hockey. First and foremost, I will never tell anyone how to fan. Um, if you like to just sit and watch a game and have a drink or have a hot dog or whatever it is, that's amazing. If you like to dig into data, that's amazing. I think that, yes, the evolution of this information that's coming numerically is going to open up a whole new world of betting. We know that player and puck tracking is going to be coming to the NHL. So we're expecting, and the NHL is hinting at this for us, that we're going to start to see prop bets, who was fastest, who did this, which player skated the most miles. All of that is really super compelling. And again, I support any fan who's interested in that. I think it's great. I think, however, that for fans who start to play in this number space, we have to remember there's two kinds of data. There's descriptive data, very mm. interesting, who's fastest, who skated the most, things like this. Right. But when we talk about analytical data, that is data that mathematically we know can reliably predict something, mm. can tell us there's a better chance of a team winning a game or of a player scoring a goal by doing this. Both types of data are valid and interesting and super cool. Just know which kind of data you're talking about and playing with before you do or do not tie a relationship that doesn't exist. Very important because, you know, a lot of people will say, hey, well, the numbers don't lie. And there is truth to that. But if you're not looking at the numbers in the right lens, then you could be a whole heck of a mess. <laughs> 100%. 100%. I love that you brought that up. But uh, I want to get in in this segment to really get to talk about, of course, what you've been writing for the Seattle Kraken. So I've mentioned it a few times. Um, you wrote a, a story called Natural Process, but that's not the first story that you have written for Seattle. If I remember correctly, right around, I guess I'd say the drafts, because they both happened in the same week, which was wild. It's super exciting, but also just a lot. Um, but I think especially coming off of the entry draft, um, you were able to do some work for Seattle. So kind of what was that process like being able to write with a brand new team to the National Hockey League? Yeah, I think that, you know, that's one of the greatest things about watching what Seattle is doing is they're brand new. There's, there's no set template. There's no previous history dictating how they have to do things. And, you know, just from what I've seen, I've been so impressed with the creativity and the individuality that Seattle is really striving to bring at every aspect of how their organization is building. Um, their team was welcoming to me and said, Hey, you know, there is, like you said, it's going to be crazy. There's going to be so much to cover. We'd love to have you be part of this story. And we talked about some ideas and we were able to look at player evaluation and the data lens, like you and I just talked about, and then also bring in some leadership stuff as well, which is my other passion. And yes, first I have to say, especially because the day that we're recording this is uh, National Nonprofit Day. So I want to give stick taps and a shout out to the Seattle Kraken because that's my background, including leadership, which we're going to get into, I promise. But uh, I, I just didn't want to geek out too much before everyone else got to get to know the awesomeness that is Allison Lucan. But um, one of the things is that it can be really difficult in a corporate space and essentially professional hockey as a corporate space to have the wherewithal to create space and to prioritize the different voices 
and uh, the the different aspects. So I also was able to write a little bit for the Seattle Kraken over a year ago now. They were NHL Seattle at the time, which is like, you know, wild to think of. And I still default to that sometimes. But brought me in because of my background in that and wanting to build around some of what they were doing in the community. And now, of course, they have One Roof, the foundation. Um, and I just love the work that Seattle is doing. And I love that they are smart enough to bring in experts like you to do some work. So hopefully we'll get to see more of that. But um, when it comes to being able to write about a team that has not hit the ice, and certainly not even all of the players have hit the ice, certainly not together. What are some of maybe the challenges to that? And what's exciting about that for you? Yeah, you know, again, I think it's that blank slate idea that is, it, it, this is all going to be the impact of directly of the people involved right now. Um, and so I think that that's going to be really cool, both from an X's and O's perspective, a how each player performs perspective. But, you know, again, what is so interesting to me is this idea of how this organization forms. And, you know, it is my belief, as much as I live and love data, it is my belief that there is a foundational core of things that we currently can't measure. People call them intangibles. There are ways to measure some, but we don't see that happening a lot in any organization um, of how we form a team. How do we form culture? And, you know, you hinted at this already. There are so many amazing signs of what Seattle is doing in terms of representing what this world looks like and having a culture that is accepting and welcoming and inclusive. How do you build that culture in all parts of the organization, not just that team that hits the ice, to strive for success? And then if you look specifically at the team, you know, I think this is why so much of so many of us love sports. Is it such this crazy crucible of people coming together in this intense period to have to perform? And if you look at it from a leadership perspective, there are so many interesting aspects to that. We see an hour, an hour and a half total of effort, but so much leadership goes into that and team building goes into that. And so watching how that is going to be formed, maintained, developed is something I am just I can't wait for everything to get started because that's going to be something super interesting to me. I love it because anyone who, like us, is super into leadership probably has deduced that you have hit on a few things that you wrote about in your story, Natural Process. And for a long time here on the podcast, I have been talking about Ron Francis and the there are a few things that we hear a lot. And one of them is about culture. There's not one person that you talk to from the Seattle Kraken that isn't talking about the culture, the culture, the culture. And for a little bit, I've been trying to describe and also analyze, well, what is that culture? You know, we have Ron Francis as a blueprint, not only as an executive, but also as, as a player. Arguably, a lot of people have been obviously making that comparison between Ron Francis, the hockey player, and their first ever entry draft pick, Maddie Beneers. But you, in Natural Process, not only break down some of that, but you also give us what is known as the Tuckman model. So Allison, can you just briefly explain what the Tuckman model is and how it relates to what you were just talking about, about the importance of not only kind of building out things on paper, but then bringing them together and allowing them to develop once everyone is in person. A hundred percent. Yes. So um, I am 
a leadership nerd through and through. My degree is in leadership studies from the University of Richmond. And the Tuckman model is one of the first things we learned, arguably because it also rhymes. But it is the concept of how a team comes to a place of full productivity. And so it's forming, norming, storming, performing. And sometimes storming comes before norming. It depends on how your team evolves. But it is the acknowledgement that before a team can actually perform, and that could be a team producing a podcast, that could be a marketing team at the Seattle Kraken, it could be the one roof or part of the organization, it could be the actual team that takes the ice. Before any team can work to achieve their goals, they have to go through these other steps, which is formally coming together saying, we are a team, these are our roles, this is our goal, this is what we're striving to do. And then norming, which is saying, here's how we're going to work together. Here are the ways that we establish communication. Here are the expected ground rules, if you will. And tied right in there too, again, storming sometimes comes before norming. It depends. I'm sure we've all been on teams that put one before the other in terms of norming and storming. But storming is the acknowledgement that there has to be some natural conflict there for us to get to those norms. So it's the idea of feeling each other out, of understanding that, you know, Erica, the first time you and I talk, we're going to talk over each other, maybe because we're figuring out those natural verbal cues, or we're going to misinterpret an email, or, you know, a player is going to go to this part of the ice instead of the other because they don't know where their teammate goes, and they're going to have to hash that out because it affected their ability to shoot on goal. Right. So it's going through those steps intentionally, allowing time for those steps, allowing time for that process so you can get to the actual performance stage. If you just bring a bunch of people together and say, here's what we're going to do, let's go do it, go team, and you don't allow for those other necessary steps, your performance is ultimately going to be affected. And the thing that I loved learning about the Tuckman model is that there's a part of it that I think is pretty straightforward, self-explanatory, just being around people makes a lot of sense. And then you look, you step back and you realize, whoa, there's a lot of places in my life <laughs> that I don't and the collective we at the time don't take to go through this process. So highly recommend learning about the Tuckman model. It might save you some <laughs> grief because th this is like you said, it's natural. Um, and so I want to get back to the the article before then talking about maybe what, what your uh, – projected uh, kind of thought process and output for this team is given what we know on paper as of right now. Um, but you in the story write about, again, Ron Francis and his leadership, and then you break down on the roster as, as we have it now, all of the different players and at all of the different levels and teams that have had a leadership role. So Allison, for you, when putting this story together and when looking at the Seattle Kraken, in what ways do you think not only the amount of leaders, but the leadership at different levels and arguably even different generations and different positions of uh, of the game of hockey, how do you think that can benefit the Seattle Kraken? And maybe what are some of those storming areas uh, that we should be looking out for? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think, you know, what's really great it, it, just to your point is that there there are different kind of, it's crazy to say this about what the actual age range is, but there are older and younger players coming in with leadership experience. And I think that's important when we think about, um, it's a very specific and very narrow definition of diversity, but of the diversity of the ages um, and experiences that's going to be in the locker room. 
But, you know, in, in talking with some other people who have held leader, formal leadership positions in teams, the letters aren't so much as, as important to those individuals in the room. What is important, though, is that that letter is a result of fellow teammates and those around them recognizing that individual's ability to direct things, if you will, be it play on the ice, be it maintaining a culture. And, you know, that was why it, it probably to many, it felt like a throwaway comment, but that's, you know, when Giordano was saying, you know, I want to make sure we get guys together before this team even hits the ice. That is part of that forming and norming stage. It's essential. And there needs to be experiences for these guys to kind of bang up against each other, both socially but also figuring out what makes each other tick that's going to help them get to that performing stage. And I think that having players who have held leadership roles specifically in the context of what they're going to be asked to do sets them up to borrow from lessons of what's worked and also what hasn't worked. I think that's going to yeah. be really interesting. And this is something I'd love to ask some of these players as we go through the season. Again, this blank slate idea, often if you come into a team a captain is this, you know, a person who wears the A is this. Did you do something that you knew you never got to be able to do before? Or did you have the opportunity to stop doing that thing that you were sick and tired of seeing at the different teams that you've played with? Mm. Um, so I think that the expression of leadership could be really creative and interesting here. Um, and, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see where the storming happens I'll be very curious to watch, I, you know, to your point, some of us don't see this in our lives. And I think storming happens and often it becomes a stop sign and we don't right. push through it yes. to get to norming and performing. And I think that any organization, not just a hockey organization, often holds that close. We don't see it because it's perceived potentially as negative. So will we see some of this storming? I think that um, you know, I've really appreciated um, the openness with which we've seen Seattle talk about some of their decision making process. And I've appreciated the experiences I've had seeing how the decision making process happens on a variety of levels, be it a content idea or what have you. So I think storming doesn't have to look like conflict, like fight, 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 but right. it can look like let's bang ideas against each other and receive different ideas make space for different ideas so we can come to a final conclusion of what the best idea is. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think you're absolutely right. Not thinking of that storming as a stop sign, as you said, which I really just wanted to elevate again, um, but moving through it. And I, I think if we even kick this up to the National Hockey League level, there are definitely some conversations that um, we as in the hockey space and in, in throughout society uh, too often pump the brakes on without ever, um, you know, and then we like quietly airlift the, the car out of the way without ever talking about it again. And I think mm -hmm. that um, I, I hope that the sport moves through that. And I definitely know that there are some athletes that whether it's conflict that they've had with their, fr their former franchise or conflict that they have with other people in their lives, they're being put now in a new position or we're going into a new season. And so without the, the resources and without some of that leadership, um, whether, as you said, it's on the sweater or not, um, or officially uh, given or not, um, that, that can create problems because 
Newsflash, playing professional sports is hard. It is stressful. It is stressful on the body. It's stressful on the mind. And without that storming process, without then being able to get to the norming, and it's like, when we hit a wall, this is how we're going to deal with it. When we hit a wall and we say we're going to deal with it this way, but we don't deal with it, this is how we hope to get back on track. Without those things, it can make it very difficult, even for the most um, on paper or not um, successful and elite team to work through those natural ebbs and flows of essentially what is a relationship. Being with other people, you're in relationship with those people. So I love that you put this piece out. I am sure I will talk about it again on Locked on Kraken. Um, but for those uh, who haven't read the piece, first of all, fix that. Link <laughs> is in the show notes. But I mean, Allison, you talk about Hayden, Jeremy, Jordan, Adam, Jaden, Marcus, Mark, like all of all of the different leadership again, that's there. And of course, that also coming from Ron Francis. And I do think I, what I love about this piece is that a lot of us, I think, have hit on this idea of leadership, especially coming from Ron Francis, and a lot of attention is given to Ron Francis, I think for good reason. Mm -hmm. But what you have given us the opportunity to do now is also to see how that permeates through the organization on the ice and off of the ice. I have also seen that as well, and things that I'm really excited to on the podcast get into a little bit more and that we've already started to do. So um, this is a great piece, but we're going to keep you for our third segment because again, uh, want to step away a little bit from the data and the leadership and maybe kick it up a little bit to get your thoughts on what can we expect from this Seattle Kraken team once they officially hit the ice uh, come October 13th uh, in Vegas. We're getting there. We're getting there, Allison. <laughs> It's crazy. Shortest off season ever. <laughs> oh man. And also the longest. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> it's that time to talk about Built Bar and all of their delicious flavors from coconut to cherry barcia and cookies and cream to German chocolate. You know what my favorite flavor is? If you listen to the show, you know I love a good double chocolate. I also really loved the limited edition churro flavor. And you know what? If you can't decide between their traditional flavors or maybe some of the ones that they have coming out, like the grasshopper cookie, which was a, their take on a mint chocolate chip, then you can always get a mix box where you'll get two of each of the nine original flavors, at least. Not only are Built Bar flavors really great tasting, they're healthy too. They range from 17 to 18 grams of protein and only four to five grams of sugar and four to five grams of net carbs and they're amazing. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. So we want you to snack like we do at the Locked On Podcast Network and as the U.S. track and field team does, as Built Bar is the official protein bar of U.S. track and field. So we are going to give you promo code LOCKED15 that you can use at Built.com and you'll get 15% off your order. That's 15% off your order when you use promo code LOCKED15 at Built.com. All right. Sad for me is that we only have one more segment, at least for this episode with Allison Lucan, but I have been so thankful, Allison, 
for your time today, talking through how you got into hockey, a little bit of your work just generally in the sport, and of course, what you've been doing for the Seattle Kraken. But since you are the data, I, you know, I call Mike Murphy the stats man, uh, but you are definitely my other stats person in hockey. Um, so I'm going to rely on you a little bit to, to just let's have a conversation about what we're expecting from this Seattle Kraken team. I'm an eye test person, so that's really hard for me as someone who has not yet been able to see everyone on the ice together. But in uh, looking at some of the work that you've done, uh, uh, Sound of Hockey is doing a great job covering the Seattle Kraken. We've already profiled Ryan S. Clark on Goodreads Monday. In doing all of that and looking at some of the scout, looking at this team on paper, and hearing Ron Francis, he always talks about wanting to secure the middle, goaltenders, defenders, centermen. I think they've done a pretty good job. Where I have a little bit of concern is where the offense is going to come from. So I just want to get your thoughts on on this team as constructed. And, um, you know, maybe if you think that there are some moves that the Seattle Kraken will make or maybe should make before we get to the first game in October. Yeah, you know, I I agree with Ron's philosophy. I think that the goaltending, first and foremost, is so strong. And building from that back end out is a huge, huge strength. That can give any team a lot of lift and even cover up a lot of sins, if you will. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. Sound of Hockey just did a, that very interesting article where they compared Vegas to the current Seattle roster. And there were actually more goals <laughs> coming from the Seattle roster than the Vegas roster. Um, so, you know, I, I think that what's interesting is we can look at this a couple different ways. Um, I have covered the Columbus Blue Jackets, and this is a team that was one of those that really started to change the perception of defense and activating from the back end and making the defense the beginning of your offense. Um, is that part of the strategy? that this team takes on on the ice. Also, you, it is traditional. Um, we hear about this in a lot of different contexts, but you see, you know, post-trade bump when a player immediately elevates their performance. William Carlson is the perfect example in Vegas, who was a third line <laughs> center in Columbus and then goes and scores 8,000 goals right. for Vegas in his first season. Um, I think we can see a lot, we'll see a lot of that emotional bump, I think, from some of these players. But I also think that, you know, it, it's important for us to, manage what we want from this Kraken team in a way Vegas kind of skewed things. <laughs> and, you know, yes, everyone wants to win, but I think if we look at Vegas now, while Vegas is still doing some interesting things and staying in the playoff conversation, they've had to work a lot of deals to cover for the fact that they got a lot better, a lot faster than they expected. Mm. And so I think that their plan had to change. And so I think what we need to manage for and what I really like about what Seattle has done to start is that there's a foundation and then there's this barrier for expansion and discovery. Yes. So as this team on the ice, off the ice starts to tell leadership what they are, what they need to your point, is it going to be more goal scoring? Are the centers ready? How are they going to cover for the Yanni Gord injury early in the season? Things of this nature. They have room financially and roster wise to put in the pieces that will fit. And I really like that. When you've never baked a cake before, don't <laughs> buy the icing. Get the extra ingredients. The That's right. Wait and figure <laughs> out what you need to put on top to make it the cake you want. So, you know, for me, if, 
I think that this team is going to be highly competitive. I think this goes back to the culture conversation. I think there's going to be an identity. I think there's going to be a really strong fight. I think there's going to be excellent goaltending, which again, as I said, can cover a multitude of sins. Yeah. Hello, Grand Fuhrer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sarah I mean, we've got a list. <laughs> but, you know, I think that if we're looking at this team with a two, three, even four year projection window, I think that's a fair consideration. If you if you want your team to have a plan, it's usually not a one-year plan, right? It, it's a longer-term plan. So again, that evolution of what this front office does as these players prove out who they are, how they fit together, is going to be very interesting. I think that we don't actually want the Vegas model. We yeah. want the Seattle model, and we want this to be a sustainable, successful growth versus bang, we're here and oh crap, now what do we do? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love that you said that. We didn't coordinate on this, but anyone who's listened to Locked on Kraken before knows that I am in that three to five year plan. I And I don't think Ron Francis has ever explicitly said this, but I don't know, you know, maybe I'm using my my auntie skills, my auntie vibes, as I like to say. They're I just, always right. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's kind of given us that, right? Um, in again, not in as many words, but given us this, that Seattle's going to do things the way that they do things and everything, just looking at all of the puzzle pieces, uh, you know, reading the tea leaves, I get the sense that this is a three to five year plan. I've also said before that I get the sense though, that Ron Francis and his team will not be hesitant, uh, to shorten a leash or cut it loose altogether. <laughs> you know, 100%. Because, yeah, because I get the sense that there is that three to five year plan, um, that, that Ron Francis and his team are super competitive while also being innovative. And so there's a little bit of that where you get to sit and watch the cake bake, but then you get to that, you know, threshold where, oh, this is going to be a disaster. Throw it away. Let's start a new one, you know? And I don't think they're going to hesitate to do that, which I think is extremely exciting to watch because, uh, and I was just on with uh, Gil Martin, who covers the the Islanders, but was uh, on the Locked On NHL show. And I said to him, you know, um, this is a, a franchise that I see wanting to build so that whenever they have that first playoff run, that it's not a one and done, but the mm -hmm. expectation is, okay, we got our foot in the door and now this is where we live. This is our house. A hundred percent. You know, and, and you know, we, it, and we get into all these layers. There's of course the on ice product, but this is still a business and this is a flat cap world. And, you know, we, we are seeing extreme lessons of how important it is to manage the financial side of this. I mean, Seattle could have gone out. I mean, listen, I did a mock draft that was fun with this and spent to the cap and got, you know, the best player you could on every single team. But here's the thing. If you get the best player and they're all about this age, they're all going to come due for more money at the exact same time. That's there you so, go. So you have to manage financially. You also have to look at, I mean, unfortunately, look at the Marc-Andre Fleury situation in Vegas. This was supposed to be a tentpole player for the organization, and there are a bunch of factors there, but one of them is financial, Yeah. where now they're having to remove that player from their lineup. There's been some cost to fan goodwill. You see a Tampa Bay, and granted, yes, I get it. They have two cups that they got, but financially now they can't sustain. Look at Chicago. Right. They had, you know, Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane at $10 million a piece. And in the immediate term, it started to impact their ability to round out that roster to stay competitive. So 
not only does Seattle need to manage the talent pipeline, they need to make sure that they're going to have, to your point, when the window's there, they have the financial resources ready to bring in the talent that they need and keep them around. And if you've already spent all your money, you can't do that. So I, the tiered approach here, this yes. build with a, with a crest is, is a really sound one, in my opinion. I love that you brought that up because you're absolutely right. In so many different buckets, right? I do get the sense that the Seattle Kraken are doing a tiered approach. They're kind of, um, you know, stacking all of the, the things that they need immediately, like goaltending, um, but then hedging. And maybe you say hedging your bets or kind of maybe just being okay with where they're at in, a, in another bucket and in another area because they feel that the future might produce something. And, you know, we talked a little bit about betting and all of that stuff, but I mean, that's kind of, again, the business aspect of it. It's, it's uh, a little bit of a gamble. It's a little bit of pro pro uh, projection and predicting. And that's where I think um, if we were talking about baseball, we'd say the money ball approach is really interesting because of course the book, and then of course the film starring Brad Pitt, um, everyone uh, that, that was around the Oakland A's, but the money ball approach didn't bring success as we think of it in the form of a championship until the Boston Red Sox. So right. is Seattle going to innovate and then open the door for others? I don't think, I think they're going to put the elbows out and uh, really kind of take an ownership of, as you said, the Seattle Kraken way and the Seattle Kraken model of doing this. Um, before I let you go, Allison, any other thoughts just on what looks to be like the first quote unquote traditional uh, NHL season that we've seen, I guess in two seasons and the fact that we'll have a new team in the Seattle Kraken. I mean, as a hockey fan, what are you feeling about October? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's almost 82 games now almost seems too long, right? <laughs> but, but you know, it, I think I do. I think it's such an exciting time for all the reasons that we've talked about to watch Seattle take hockey by storm and hockey takes Seattle by storm. I think that this is going to be because as we've talked about for all the reasons of what Seattle's doing and how they're doing it, it's so exciting on, on the hockey level specifically. I think we're going to see some very interesting, maybe good trends, maybe bad trends. We have many, we have many players, a lot of young talent that hasn't played a regular season has had long layoffs, has had a real impact in their ability to, as you pointed out, care for not just their bodies, but their minds mm -hmm. through the impact of what these COVID seasons um, and stoppages have done. And so I think it's going to be really interesting to watch the sports science of it all. How do we get these athletes back to sustain an 82 plus game season? Um, and what is the next evolution in the game? I think we're kind of due um, for something new to start happening. Is it positionless hockey? Maybe, I don't know. That might be too Whoa. big of a dream. But uh, I don't know. That's my that's my pipe dream. We'll see. But uh, oh man, I might have to have you back to talk about that because <laughs> I have no idea what positionless hockey could look like. But I have strong thoughts about positionless basketball. Let's go. Um, I I think that there is, um, and we're seeing this trend in sports just generally of a little bit more of respecting the jack of all trades, right? You know, which I as someone who 
probably would be considered a jack of all trades uh, respect. But there's also a part of me that feels that there's certain positions that you need to have secure and that person needs to pretty much be a primary expert in that position. Mm-hmm. I'd argue goaltending is probably one of them. Fair, fair. <laughs> and Erica, you know we love a good crossover. We do love a good crossover. <laughs> I love that you did that. Yes, love a good, love a strong crossover. So Allison Lucan, going to have to have you on again. I hope we get to see more of your work just selfishly for Seattle because then we get to talk all of the time. But either way, I have always enjoyed your work. I learn so much and I'm so thankful for you coming on to talk about the Seattle Kraken so that the Seattle Kraken fandom can get to see your perspective about hockey and about this team. Well, Erica, thank you for having me on. As I said at the beginning, Seattle, you are so lucky to have Erica. You are one of the most important and smartest voices and humans in the sports space. And thank you so much for having me on. It was a great pleasure. Absolutely. And if you want to know where you can find all of Allison's work, I will have that here in the show notes. And of course, follow us on social media at Locked on Kraken. But Allison, if folks want to follow your work and maybe some of the data work that you're doing and some of the conferences that we've talked about, where's the best way for them to find you? Yep. Right now, um, my work is obviously on the Seattle Kraken website. And anything else I do can be found on my Twitter, which is at Allison L. All right, there you have it. Another happy Monday of Goodreads, this time featuring the work of Allison Lucan. And we're going to have to have you back, whether it's for Goodreads or otherwise. And for all of you Seattle Kraken fans, thank you so much for listening or watching because now we're on YouTube. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Locked on Kraken. And until next time, this is Erica Lindsay Ayala. And as I mentioned, AKA Auntie signing out. on the National Hockey League doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts.